You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season eight, episode 14. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about several opportunities on how you can participate with the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. In the show notes to this episode, you'll find a link to our upcoming online gathering, The Breath in the Clay 2021, featuring presentations by Professor Jeremy Begbie, Padraig Otuma, the band Rivers and Robots, Christine Paintner, and over 30 additional presenters, performers, and workshop leaders. Our theme for this year's event is re-enchantment, how art bridges the gap between wonder and the mundane. This event is offered on a pay-what-you-want basis and will be archived for future viewing. You'll also find a link to learn more about our creative coaching opportunities, how to become a monthly patron of the podcast, and about my upcoming book, Naming the Animals, an invitation to creativity, published by Square Halo Books. Makers and Mystics is committed to be an anchor and a resource of connectivity for those artists and creatives who follow our work. So be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter at makersandmystics.com to stay informed on what's happening in the community. Thanks for listening. This is my episode on significance and contribution. What if we believed more in what we have to give than in what we have to lose? And what if rather than being concerned over self-promotion or having selfish motives behind our work, we were more concerned over the loss of not offering the world our creative gifts? I've spent a number of years working with artists, many of whom would profess some measure of faith, And among them, I have encountered far more people who have restricted themselves out of fear of self-promotion than I have witnessed people whose ego has gotten out of hand. And yet, there is a ditch on either side of this road. I'm not denying that self-promotion and egotism aren't real issues for some. I'm only saying that in my experience, the common artist is more likely to struggle with self-doubt and lacking the confidence to give what they have to give more than in thinking too highly of themselves or in being motivated by garnering praise. In fact, it could be argued that egotism is only another expression of the same self-doubt that causes others to hide their gifts away. Egotism and self-promotion only mask the insecurities behind bravado. Furthermore, self-promotion is never about marketing or overextending yourself to others. Self-promotion is rooted in territorialism and jealousy. Self-promotion seeks to lift itself up at the expense of tearing others down. But the irony of self-promotion is that it accomplishes the opposite of what it seeks. Instead of showing a person's strength or their worthiness, it exposes their inadequacy. Just like Haman's gallows in the book of Esther, self-promotion ends up hanging the person who built it instead of condemning those it sought to tear down. In Season 8, Episode 8, On Belonging and Becoming, I mentioned three core longings that exist at the heart of most artists. A need to belong, a need to be known, and a need to make a significant contribution. In that episode, I discussed the need to belong. 
And if you recall our earlier episode from season seven, episode 10, which I titled The 27 Club on greatness and the pursuit of fame, I talked about the need to be known. In today's episode, I wanna talk with you about this third core longing in the heart of the artist, the need to make a significant contribution. We may not care to be famous or even make art as our full-time vocation, but we all do carry the need for our work to matter and to know that what means something to us may also mean something to someone else or that what we give our time, attention, and resources to may serve to beautify or to better the lives of those around us. I want to frame today's conversation around one of Jesus' sayings from the Gospels, Matthew 5, verse 16. This verse is commonly translated as, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. But follow me here. This word translated as good is the Greek kalos, and it also means beautiful to behold. And the word translated as works is the Greek word ergon, which can also mean anything accomplished by hand, art, industry, or mind. So then I think it is fair to say when Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. This could also read that they may see your beautiful works of art, those creations that you've done by hand and celebrate God as a result. Much of what stifles the emerging artists from making significant contributions is the skewed narrative that plays out in the back of our minds and influences our actions. It may not be a lack of confidence so much as a lack of faith. What we need may be a simple reframing of what we tell ourselves inside. Again, I posed the questions from the beginning of this episode. What if we believed more in what we have to give than in what we have to lose? And what if rather than being concerned over self-promotion or having selfish motives, we were more concerned over the loss of not offering the world our creative gifts? I'm thinking of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. If you recall the story, a landowner distributes talents to each of his servants according to their ability, then leaves them to do what they would with what they had been given. It was only the one who was afraid and hid the master's money who got in trouble. The ones who invested each received a return, but the one who thought his master to be an angry man, this one lost what had been given, and it was given to the one who had the most. This reminds me of the story Elizabeth Gilbert tells in her book, Big Magic, about how she had an idea for a novel set in the Amazon jungle, but that she didn't finish it. Her inspiration waned and she let the idea die. And as Elizabeth's story goes, the idea eventually migrated to the mind of her friend and fellow writer, Anne Patchett, who wrote a best-selling novel set in the Amazon jungle titled State of Wonder. Elizabeth was floored when she recognized that her abandoned idea had been realized by another artist. I suppose the lesson is that if we don't engage with our creative ideas, perhaps they'll go looking for other artists to bring them into being. Or to go back to the parable, if we bury our talent, it will be given to another who will use it. 
I was talking recently with one of the artists I coach, and I asked her, what if your art chose you? Is that too far of a stretch to consider? What if your creative ideas were given to you specifically by God for you, and then to give to the world? Or put it this way, what if your art desires to be born, to be seen, to be experienced? And what if you are the chosen vessel to bring it forth? What if we began to look at our art as a living thing and our art making, our songwriting, our creative endeavors, not as a wild beast to tame, but as a friendship? If we can view our ideas and our art making as a living thing, it changes the way that we engage our art. If we see that our art desires to come forth, then it takes the pressure off of us to produce it and it allows us to engage our art as the supernatural gift that it is. Often what stifles us from pursuing a creative work is a fear of disappointment. Hiding underneath our self-doubt and the voices of our inner critics is a fear of disappointment. But we can't be disappointed unless we've been appointed to begin with. And so the fear only confirms that we've been given a significant work to do. We've been appointed for a work that only we can do. No one else can do this work that burns in our heart. And as long as we remain committed to the friendship with our art, we'll be surprised at the collaboration that comes forth. But if we hide our art away, afraid of disappointment and comparing ourselves to others, then our art will never live to produce what it's meant to produce in the earth. If we are given to comparing ourselves to others, comparing our talent, our abilities to others, then we rob ourselves of making our significant contribution and we rob the world of the gift of receiving our art. I've talked with several people who have said to me, they have this book they want to write or they have a song they want to sing, but then they talk themselves out of it because there are so many other people better suited to do it than themselves. And so they say, why bother? Why bother? Why bother? Because no matter how many times a song has been sung, it has never been sung by you. And no matter how many times a topic has been discussed, it has never been seen through your unique individual perspective. And no matter how well equipped or better suited someone else may be to accomplish a particular work, your take on it is individual. And the world would be in lack if you don't offer what you have. How do you know that your worst mistake will not be the catalyst for someone else to see an entirely new approach? Some of my best works have come forth out of my worst mistakes. We tend to imagine ourselves as more or less beautiful, more or less talented, more or less intelligent, and determine our worth from flimsy and short-sighted comparisons. And our culture is built on comparisons like these. The value of one product is formed by comparing it to the features of another product. And as a point of reference, comparison can be helpful, but as a standard of self-worth, it's toxic. Because the human spirit is not a commodity for sale. We cannot be replicated or mass-produced. God has created each person with a holy individuality. 
The psalmist tells us that we've been reverently and distinguishably made. And of the billions of people alive today and the countless souls who have walked the earth throughout history, there has never been nor will there ever be another you. Paul describes in Corinthians the endless diversities within the created realm, each having a distinct beauty and form unto the glory of God. One star differs from another star in glory, he says. There are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Our individual uniqueness is unto God's glory. He likes it. He designed it. Comparison, on the other hand, overshadows the rare beauty of our own uniqueness. The unspoken measurements we make creates hierarchies among peers and impedes our ability to see one another clearly. Comparison attacks originality, and it ultimately leads to conformity, competition, and self-denigration. Here's another thought on making a significant contribution I'd like to offer. Working as a full-time artist does not give worth to our work, nor does not working as a full-time artist lessen the worth of our work. If you write, then you are a writer. If you paint, then you are a painter. Likes and follows and press and exterior recognitions do not determine the significance of you as an artist nor of your work as a creator. Making a significant contribution may not mean that your work becomes famous or even that it will be liked or understood by your peers. History is full of artists and mystics whose work and thought was not accepted nor understood until generations after they were gone. A significant contribution is an authentic one because creating in authenticity, creating without fear, is significant enough to warrant the efforts we put into our practices. Often we are not the ones who get to determine whether our work is significant or not. We must simply be faithful to do the work we've been given and history will be the determiner. Many of us who have run in religious circles have fallen prey to false expressions of humility that make us afraid of self-promoting or that make us afraid of sharing our gifts. What some consider humility, however, is nothing more than insecurity and self-abasement. And what we sometimes judge as pride can truly be an act of selfless confidence functioning without fear. What if your art isn't about you? What if the world truly needs your art? What if you hiding your gift away is a form of hidden pride and self-preservation, whereas sharing your gift with the world is being a faithful and humble steward? Whether or not people connect with the art we make is not our responsibility. We are only responsible to cultivate our gift of creating. And their rejection or reception does not heighten or lessen the significance of the work we make. The only way we will ever make really good art or art that grows to become a significant contribution to society is to make a lot of really bad art that no one will ever know exists or never celebrate. Even our so-called failed pieces teach us what works and what doesn't, or they give us direction for what to do next time. So let's find the gift within our failures and keep depression at bay when it doesn't work out the way we imagined. Our job is simply to show up and create. This is success enough. This is significant enough. 
If you pushed through the fear, the time restraint, the lack of inspiration or personal obstacles and attempted the creative process, then you've already won the day. Do it again tomorrow and inspiration will catch up to you soon enough. But don't wait for inspiration before you begin making. Don't wait until you feel adequate enough to do the work. If we want to make a significant contribution with our creative expressions, we have to believe in ourselves that what we are doing matters. And this isn't pride to say so. It is agreeing with God. If my translation of Matthew 5.16 stands, then Jesus' own words tells us to present our beautiful works before the people so that they may in turn celebrate God who gave us the ideas. Create with no promise of audience or accolade. Create with no concern of whether anyone cares about your work or not. Accept yourself today without judgment or criticism of where you are on the journey because you're further ahead than you think you are. The process is what matters. The process is where you overcome. Your art is the evidence of where you've been and of where you're going. Let your light, that spiritual radiance of your true person, shine before the people around you so that they may see your significant contribution and glorify God in heaven. Most of the time, what we lack may not be confidence, but faith and a reframing of the narratives we tell ourselves inside. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things unseen. And generally speaking, there's no art that doesn't involve a basic element of faith. The artist sees in the spirit the finished work of what he or she works to flesh out in reality, or the artist hopes for and believes for an uncertain and unseen end and believes that it will be good. Because art, I believe, aspires toward the true and the good and the beautiful. Therefore, all artworks begin on that interior realm of the spirit and move outward into our tangible reality. I'll say it again that art is the evidence. Art is the outward display of an interior or invisible reality. And this is not to say that all artists have their faith placed in God. It just means that faith and creativity go hand in hand. Therefore, when we bring our faith and our art together with intention, our art moves from the realm of the natural to the realm of the supernatural. Our art carries the fragrance and essence of a heavenly reality. It is the way earth comes to reflect heaven. And if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I'm convinced creativity and art are both essential to our human experience. The conviction that drives me to pursue and to explore these relationships between art and faith is not just so that we can have some religious justification for our art-making habits. It goes much deeper. It's about us coming into the fullness of our humanity. And in order for us to do that, it is essential for us to liberate the creative spark inside of us. Our art cannot simply serve our religious understanding or our art will always fail to express originality because religion deals with preconceived notions and preconceived notions hinder creativity. So you might say, well, if that's true, what or how do faith and art coexist? As artists of faith, we can hold our certainties with flexibility and understand that the only true absolutes are fixed in eternity. And when we learn to embrace the intimacy of God's nearness, while surrendering ourselves to the mystery of God's transcendence, we can be led beyond the realm of our own understanding and create significant works of art 
rooted in the eternal realm. This is the pathway not only to making significant contributions to society, but to making eternally significant contributions. So what I want to encourage you with is this. I want to encourage you to go and make whatever it is your hands and your heart desire to make. Take no thought of whether it will be good or bad, popular or ignored. Reject all notions of whether you are adequate to do the work or not. Because again, what if your art desires you to give it birth? And I wanna encourage you to let yourself off the hook. Whether or not your motives are pure or skewed, simply do the work because your art is asking to be born and you are the one it has chosen to give it birth. The world needs your art and whether we get it or not, whether we become famous or whether someone three generations down the road discovers what we've made, we can rest assured that if the idea has come to us, then there is a place and a purpose for this work to be realized. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to tune in again next week for our season finale episode.